Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. Achieving my long-term goals is more about creating healthy habits and less about quick fixes. And that's why I love both intermittent fasting and daily harvest. Tim Spector, a gut health expert and founder of Zoe, and Dr. B, gastroenterologist and author of Fiber Fueled, recommend that you aim for at least 30 unique plant foods per week. Daily Harvest helps make it easy. One of my favorite options is the sweet potato and wild rice hash harvest bowl. With Daily Harvest, I'm getting tons of plant-based options built on organic fruits and vegetables that are easy to prep and free of weird ingredients such as fillers, seed oils, and added sugars. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com ifstories to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com ifstories for $30 off your first box and free shipping. Daily harvest.com slash is stories. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, Who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 379 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with Heather Streeter. Heather lives outside of Watertown, New York, where she is a high school science teacher. Welcome, Heather. Hello, Jen. It's great to be here. It is great to talk to you. We were just talking beforehand. Winter has arrived. We were recording this in October. Well, it's November. I forgot it's November now. (laughs) It's November 1st, but it comes out in January when you will be smack dab in the middle of winter. Oh, yes. For sure. (laughs) Well, you know, I like to start by asking what brought you to intermittent fasting and when was that? I'm going to fangirl for just a second. And thank you very, very much. Like I wrote in my emails, thank you for sharing your story so we can all improve ours. Well, thank you. And I'm really grateful to have had the chance to do it. It's because of modern technology. You know, my first book, Delayed on Tonight, if it wasn't for self-publishing, that would have just remained a dream, writing that book. And podcasts. Anybody can podcast. And so I'm just really, really grateful to have had the chance to put the story out in the world because I would like everybody to have the same freedom from all that dieting. And You set me free, so uh, hopefully it'll be a good story. Anyway, I do have some long and short and a why that will make you cry. So yeah, the long story is I'm an early bloomer, those of us who teach in adolescent health. That means I started you know, looking like an adult very early. And at age 11, I was in my adult size body. So I was five foot seven and all my friends are like barely hitting four and a half feet tall. And uh, I actually had a colleague who I scrapbook with look at my sixth grade photo and 
try to figure out who I was. And she's like, well, that's the student teacher. And I'm like, that's me. So it's hard, isn't it? You know, I've worked in an elementary school. I know how big 11 year olds are. And you looked like an adult. Yes. And that mentally put me in this place of why am I so huge? automatically. And when your friends are talking about how they're, you know, getting so big at a hundred pounds and I'm like, I'm never saying my weight because it's way over that. And I'm five foot seven. So I should be way over that. It got a little, a little sketchy in my early years. I also was diagnosed with super high cholesterol at age 12 when my mother coincidentally was diagnosed. And my sister also got diagnosed at age 10. At the age of 12, I had a cholesterol of over 220 which is, you know, not healthy. So this is definitely familial hypercholesterol, whatever. Hypercholesterolemia. Yes. The science teacher in me can easily rattle those words up. Comes right off your tongue. But yeah, that is so unusual. Yeah. So between my mom finding out she had it and me and my sister, we were unofficially in Weight Watchers at the age of 12 and 10. And of course, through a lot of reasons, my mother really wasn't into the Weight Watchers thing. They were really attacking it on the diabetes side. And she's like, this isn't helpful for me or my kids. She also was very much of a person that was into basically, I'm not going to do margarine. I'm not doing these fake foods. I'm very uncomfortable. She was always a sensitive person to that. So she stuck to the real food, which I am also very grateful that we stuck that way. We did all the skim milk and the low fat and all that things, but we didn't really do frankenfood. No margarine ever crossed our threshold. My mother still to this day prefers margarine. Like she comes to my house and complains that we have butter. I'm like, what? (laughs) But she likes it. And my dad, who's a PA, was convinced it was our diet and he ate all the things extra and got his cholesterol and checked and he's totally normal and we're just totally not. So it wasn't our diet. So yeah, it's interesting. So we went through that phase and I was starting to be aware of food because of that, but I wasn't super vigilant and, you know, I'm a teenager. I'm going to go do what I'm going to do. So, you know, get through high school and doing decent. I eventually ended up getting towards in college when your friends are all getting married and everything just getting out of college, I hit over 200 pounds and I was myself getting engaged. So that's when I went into Weight Watchers again. And I did do very well there. I had 47 pounds lost and I lost 32 inches that time off my body, which was awesome. And I looked fantastic on my wedding day. I loved it. And I was like close to the weight I was when I was in high school again. So I thought, oh, this is great, but I couldn't reach goal. Like I got a medical note to be a little outside of the goal range for my height and things like that. And And what was that goal that they had you? What did they want for you? Oh, I don't know what it was for your height. I think it may have been 159 pounds. They wanted you to be 159? Yeah, I'm 5'7". And I just wanted to say the one thing that just struck me, I mean, you had to get a medical note for Weight Watchers to, so they would adjust your goal. But that's how much importance we put on that, right? We're like, look, I have a reason. If you didn't go to their height range goal, then you had to get a medical note. I was trying to reach 168, 165, somewhere in there. And I got within a few pounds, but never actually hit it. So I never became a lifetime member. But Weight Watchers helped me with my psychological mindset on being that awkward early bloomer. I got over that. They really helped with that. And it also confirmed that I wasn't actually making too terribly bad food decisions in the world. I was a good fruit eater and a good veggie eater. My mom hated, hated Kool-Aid and things like that. She liked her Coca-Cola, but she didn't like artificial stuff for us to drink. So, and I never was into juice. I'm back in the era where you handed your kids juice all the time. I was just not doing that. So those weren't bad habits I had to break, which was really good one. And remember juice glasses that were like this big? Do you remember like like my grandmother had juice glasses and I swear I think they held like three ounces of juice or something? I remember there was like a jam that used to sell, like turn it into a juice glass after you ate it. That's where I was. So I got over that thing and I didn't really have much diet history. Other At 16, we discovered the carbohydrate excited. I thought that was the greatest thing. I think that's where the averaging your weight for the week comes from because I remember doing that. 
Probably so. It definitely, I got it somewhere. And it was when I started intermittent fasting for good in 2014. That was the first time I was weighing daily and calculating my weekly average. But I had come off of, I had been trying keto that whole summer, didn't lose a pound. That led me back to the carbohydrate addicts diet. Because I was like, I got to have some carbs. I remember that plan. That must be where the idea finally got into my head. And then I was like, why am I eating these other meals? Why don't I just eat the one? There's back to the fast five. So carbohydrate addicts diet. So did you do the low carb all day and then the one reward meal? Yes, I did. I enjoyed that. It was a wonderful concept. I could eat whatever I choose the one hour I want to eat, but I can restrict for the rest of the day. And then it made it a little more sustainable, I think. And do you remember how that's not really what Rachel Heller did? <laughs> that's the part yes, that's so funny. That she was story. drinking black coffee when she couldn't take her blood test. She just ate one meal a day. But then her plan was different. But anyway, <laughs> so funny. But it was of the freedom of being able to eat that one meal. Especially in a world where since the age of 12, I was pretty aware that I should try to not eat certain foods because theoretically it's supposed to make my cholesterol go up, which it was just going to always be up. I remember a doctor once said to me, you know, you can eat just carrots and celery the rest of your life. It's never going to go below this 200. It's never going that low. That was an interesting piece to getting through my 20s, got married, had great time. My first pregnancy, I ended at 205 in my weight. My second pregnancy ended at 235 in my weight. And then especially after the second pregnancy, I struggled getting all the way off. I never got below 200 after my second pregnancy. I kissed below 200 after my first, but <laughs> not after my second. It's like our body just says, all right, we're just going to stay big. That's what my body did too. And I was 35 when I had my second. So I was headed towards that middle age spread anyway, and it just kind of got accelerated. And it got to the point where, yep, I was avoiding the photos and I was avoiding looking very much in the mirror I would also just sit there and go, well, I'm not as bad off as some other people. And, you know, I've always been big. I can't remember a time really when I wasn't the big person in the room. So I, I headed that way. And so I COVID hit. And of course, a teacher in COVID. Oh, it was horrible. I can't even imagine how bad it was. It's like the two years I'd like to, I have erased those two years out of my brain. There's a few snippets of things I remember and some important stuff. But I remember once, because I was super stressed, my parents, which is, has a huge part to play in the story, is they both have serious medical conditions. My dad was diagnosed with one before he was 40, and he's managed to stay alive longer than they expected him to with a heart condition. And then my mom had the high cholesterol, but she had a work injury and it basically was like lighting the stick of dynamite on what her cardiovascular health went through. So she went through 20 years of slow degeneration and she died in 2021 of a heart attack at that just after Thanksgiving. And that's when I was at Thanksgiving with my sister and we're having conversation and my weight, I've, I'm avoiding the scale like a banshee. And I got on the scale over the, the holiday break and I'm like, it's 2.30. Like I'm within five pounds of being the highest weight I've ever been when I was pregnant. So I was like, I'm not going there. That was in the back of my mind. And then my mom passed. So stress from COVID made my middle get large and clothes I would wear that were fine before made me look like I was pregnant for six months or so. Almost everything in my closet wasn't fitting. All these things were happening. I remember being so stressed, concerned for my parents' health. The first few months, actually, I looked like a faster. I wasn't eating until around lunch. My weight actually went down because I was only eating two meals a day when I was in COVID. You were just so stressed out. You weren't like intentionally fasting. You didn't know you were fasting, but it was just, there was so much stress for everybody during that time, you know, wondering what was going to happen. We were trying to navigate something nobody understood, confusing messages. And I remember coming back to school, mentally preparing myself to be around people and isolating, we, me and my husband both teach. So we isolated from our families, seeing them in person because we didn't want to expose them because they were at risk. So I remember looking out at my students, all of the six or 10 of them that were allowed to be in the room with me and 
going, which one of us is going to have somebody not be here because of COVID? And it just was, it hit me. I'm like, I am internalizing all this stress. No wonder my middle is getting so big. No wonder all this cortisone is going through my body. So since I've discovered you, I've discovered all these things that I should have been addressing. So, Well, and it's true. We don't really, stress can do two things. People either tend to lose a ton of weight when they go through stress. Like people just like, it just falls right off or the opposite, which is what probably most of us experience, the weight gain and the abdominal visceral fat because our body packs it on. Our body's like, "Uh uh-oh, something's happening. This is not good. We better store up some extra because we're probably not going to have food, whatever this terrible thing is going to cause to happen. So yeah. We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium and specifically magnesium breakthrough by by optimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by by Optimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. So we got through COVID, and I was internally grateful. My parents never got sick. They think they got it actually before it was actually declared COVID because in January, they got really bad respiratory infections. But January of 2020 and New York figured out that it was probably circulating that early up here. So needless to say, when did my mom did die in December of 2021, I was in such stress mode. One of the things I, and now knowing my body the way it is, a bad knee. And it just swelled as if I was walking on a rotted grapefruit the entire month of December. It was so bad. I wasn't like trusting myself going downstairs. I was in a knee brace 24 seven, except for when I was sleeping. And I was just like, I'm falling apart and my mom's dead. And I was just in a terrible place. That's the why that makes you cry because I'm doing this in honor of my mom. I totally get why that would be a powerful why. And you know, realizing our parents are mortals and that, you know, my dad has not been well. And we're just like, wait, how could this be? We want to do our best. You know, we see the roadmap ahead of us. You know, I see what would happen to me. You know, genetics loads the gun, right? Lifestyle pulls the trigger. So we can say, okay, this is what my family's got. This is, I don't want that. I want to do the best I can. When we know better, we do better, right? Exactly. And so, Coming down from that December being in such bad shape, uh, we were getting through December vacation and I'm chilling with my kiddo. And the short story of how I found you was I'm chilling with my kiddo. We're watching Netflix Explained, which is a really cool like mini documentaries on different topics. They only are about a half hour show or something. So they had one on sugar and I'm like, okay, I'm just coming off of all this devastation. Let's make some life changes we can do. 
And I'm thinking, okay, I can get rid of some of my sugar intake. I can, I wasn't much of a sugar intaker anyway, but I had some artificial sweetener things that I was using and as a crutch for my day. And I was like, okay, I'll start thinking about eliminating those. And then we watched the one on skin. And that one had this interesting doctor who turned into a journalist. I thought that was interesting. He wrote a book called Clean. So this is January of 2021. And I'm like, that must be a really cool book. And so <laughs> I think his, his name, I have it down somewhere. James Hamblin, I think it is, or something like that. And it, it was like a little history of the germ theory. And then, of course, like any good marketing system, if you need to get rid of your germs, you need soap. And why not? start. And that's like the foundation of the beauty industry. So he did a little history of that. And he talked about our skin has a microbiome, which is a different thing I had never heard of much. So I'm like, oh, okay. So in there, while I went searching for a free version of trying to find (laughs) this book, I went into Audible and searched up clean And of course, it's January of 2021, and I believe your cleanish book was coming out the next month, or December of 21. James wanted you to be clean, but Jen just wants you to be cleanish, right? (laughs) So it's recommending cleanish and fast piece repeat and obesity code. And then because I'm a premium user or whatever, there's all these free podcasts. And so what pops up? Intermittent fasting podcasts. And I'm like, what is all this stuff? And I did find the free version through my public library. Kudos to my public library system. Audible version. So I listened to it. It was an awesome book. And from that, I decided, because I had sensitive skin, that sold me on just clean my stinky parts with soap and water. The rest of my skin doesn't need the soap. You started with clean-ish? Well, actually, because it recommended clean-ish. And I was, we're in a kind of a book desert up here in my little neck of the woods, unless you buy it on Amazon, you can't really get it at a bookstore near you. (laughs) There is no near me. So I um, started listening to your podcast with Melanie Avalon. And while I was listening, I was just like totally taken aback. I'm like, this is the first person that has ever been messaging things so positively and non-judgmentally. And like, I believe you when you say, that this food doesn't agree with you, but this one does. And it's completely different for me. And I totally get it. And I'm like, wow, you're just like, you. Were, it was a breath of fresh air. I was just loving it. Well, it's powerful understanding, isn't it? And you know, you've got the science background as a science teacher. And it's kind of like, you're like, oh, you know, no wonder that we have a different glycemic response. We have a different gut microbiome. We have a different skin microbiome and freeing. So that convinced me. I was... I needed to go to an orthopedist for my knee because I had just gotten sick of my knee feeling the way it did all of the month of December. And so I'm literally in Syracuse is about an hour away from me, but I'm in Syracuse. So I'm around the corner from a bookstore and I go in and I get fast piece repeat cleanish. And I think I got, yes, obesity code and the complete guide to fasting. I got all of them. I was just like, they're all here. I'm getting them all. <laughs> And so then I go around the corner into the orthopedist and I'm waiting there for about five minutes and I'm the science person. So science isn't intimidating. I was going to do obesity code first. That's the one I was hitting first. So I opened up the first page and read the letter from the introductory letter. And I was just like, between listening to the podcast, reading the book summaries, I'm like, this is going to change me like big time. (laughs) Just that first message. I was like, okay, this is it. This is where I'm going. You know, you just hear it and it just feels so true. And you're like, this is absolutely it. And you just, something about your, like your inner wisdom suddenly understands we were not supposed to eat 10 times a day or all of this nonsense or eat this crappy fake food. We were not designed for that. And so then we're like, oh, And the two things that resonated most as I was reading was in Obesity Code when Jason Fung's talking about the reason for obesity is a complicated one, but it is very much a hormonal one. And it's between that and all the discussion about insulin and the hyperinsulinemia, and that's all up my alley. I'm like totally into that stuff. But it just like, it was like all these dominoes kind of went right into order. Like, okay. So that's why when I hit puberty, all of a sudden I got the stomach punch. 
That's why when I was trying to breastfeed my children, I couldn't get past producing three ounces. And I had a colleague coincidentally talk about their breast milk and sometimes we share too much, but that, and sorry, folks, I'm a science teacher, so I'm going to share too much right now. The bodily fluids and all that discussion is a common in my house. But when I was looking at my breast, I thinking about my breast milk production compared to this person talking about theirs, I did not have the fat layer. My body was not giving up fat. It wouldn't let it go. So I think I was hyperinsulinemic a long time. Once we understand that insulin is a storage hormone, and if you have too much of it, you're really stuck in storage mode. We know that. And it it causes other metabolic issues. We become insulin resistant. So many things going on behind the scenes. And then we're like, okay. And you know, that understanding that, you know, my husband Chad, who's always been lean, probably doesn't have a very strong insulin response. He's just like, bloop, there's a little, you know, whatever, just enough. Whereas, you know, some of us are like, yeah, our bodies are going to pump out extra, you know, and we can't control that, right? If a little's good, a little more is fine too. So that one was a big one because not between that and then my girth starting after kid number two, but really taking off during COVID, a lot of those in hyperinsulinemic signs were just like glaring to me after I'm like reading that. And then the other big one between you messaging really well in your podcast, and I love the positivity of it, was I was reading your Fast Feast Repeat book. And I remember reading about calories and it's saying calories were the form of measurement for determining how much heat or steam or whatever a railroad or the trains can make when you're pumping in the coal and doing all that. And we just decided to attach them to food. And I'm thinking, yep. And therefore, our bodies don't care. And when, as soon as that was there, I was like, okay. Because you have once said a couple of times in all your podcasts that your book is a permissive book. And that just like that moment just clicked as calories don't matter. So I'm not going to track them. I am done. I deleted the app a couple months into fasting, but I was done. I was like, okay, if I don't, it don't, they don't matter. And it's hormonal. I am done counting calories. I am done worrying about what goes in my mouth as far as, is this the right balance of macros or whatever? I'm not going to worry about that stuff anymore. I'm just going to nourish myself. I learned it really. Jason Fung really, really explained it well to the point that I finally got it, you know, because I was raised up on calorie counting too. And, you know, as I said in Fast Feast Repeat, we don't count calories. That doesn't mean calories don't matter, meaning that if you overeat, you're not ever going to tap into your fat stores for fuel. So, like, if you think about it roughly, like, roughly, yes, calories in, calories out, math formula, our body's doing stuff. But the problem is, there's flaws in all the sides of it. First of all, every calorie count on a package is an estimate. And, you know, like 100 grams of filet mignon, for example, could weigh, you know, it could have more calories than you think or fewer calories because it could have more fat marbling in that meat or less or how it's cooked or whatever. And the calories inside is really, really hard to control because, first of all, just variability. But the calories outside is where it really goes awry. Even if we could perfectly calculate calories in, like I was listening to, I can't remember what it was, someone explaining some I don't know, a study that they had done about you know, different diets, different people, and why everyone responded so differently. But it, it talked about how over time, the more you calorie restrict, the more your calories out goes down. So you predict you've got this mathematic formula, but your body starts to conserve. It starts to slow down. So the calories outside messes you up. So that is why is really you know, counting calories is an exercise in futility because you can't control exactly what you're putting in and you certainly can't control what your body is putting out. So anyway, there's my little mini diatribe about that. <laughs> But we, you know, we we just think that it's a math formula and it's so much more. And I, part of me said, I am not a locomotive. So therefore it doesn't, the calorie counting doesn't seem to make sense for me. Like, am I a train? No. No. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> Love it. Yeah. So 
between that stuff and again, your messaging right off the bat, I started looking at food completely differently. I started fasting over Martin Luther King weekend of 2022. So two years will be in 2024, which is soon. And I just started just paying attention to the food and listening. And it took a long time. It wasn't pretty easy road, but it did take a little bit before I started really getting that appetite correction thing going. And I did read that book, like almost anything you were recommending I was reading. And then I would find another book. And then I, so I've, I think in the, I'm going to be approaching two years. I've been, I've read over 20 something books just on health and wellness and diet and food. And it, it adds to what you know. And then the more, you know, the more you realize that it's, our bodies are not simple. And there's a lot going on, like what your gut microbiome is doing and the how much fiber is in your food. And I mean, it's like, there's a lot of variables. So anybody who's like, I'm just going to count the calories and get on my exercise bike. <laughs> and of course, I'm of the woman of that age where I'm also very perimenopausal. So I decided to go down that rabbit hole with that side of educating myself and read a bunch of books. I was just telling you I was at the doctor's before I started this. And uh, we're going to look again. I tried hormones a little bit a couple years ago, but we're going to look again at my hormone level and see. But I'm um, between the history of what happened with my mom and some other factors. I really want to know exactly what my body's absorbing. So I'm going with the pharmacological side of things, the FDA approved side of things hormonally, if we end up going there. So you know, I use bioidentical hormones, but I get them at like the regular drugstore. They're not like compounded or anything like that. They're, you know, it's a patch, it's an estradiol and the progesterone that you take. So they're bioidentical, but I get them at a regular drugstore. So yeah, I just wanted to lean that way so that I knew I could find studies on whatever's going on, look things up if I need to. So I'm headed that way, but I, I'm also in a place where I'm like, I don't know if I really need them. But at the same time, I have some things like I know I'm pretty sure fasting is keeping me from having full-fledged hot flashes and night sweats. I do my window towards the evening time. So when I go to sleep, I run hot overnight. And I think that's part of what is that the thermogenic effect of digestion or something? Yeah, it really I can feel my metabolic rate cranking up. And like, I've even taken my temperature, it's like 99. (laughs) Yeah, I feel it. You know, I started in January of 2022. And where I live in January, if I need to take off the quilt in my room, because I'm hot sleeping, which with my underactive thyroid is like never, like I'm usually under four blankets on sleep at bedtime. There's something going on there. There's clearly something different going on there. And so I get hot enough where it wakes me up. And I thought maybe because we changed bedding or something, I asked my husband, I'm like, are you getting warm? Like, is there something different? He's like, no, I'm totally fine. And I'm like, okay, so that's just me. <laughs> like, I'm done with all that, the the hot flash, but waking up, I, like, have you woken up like so sweaty all over yet? I have not sweated. I've gotten too close to feeling like I'm going to break out into a sweat, but I know I don't actually get a whole sweat on. So that's the craziest. Now I don't have that anymore. Like I said, that was just as I was going through the transition, like 2019, 2020, right around there. But I mean, it is like you wake up and you literally like can like wipe the sweat off and like you have to change your clothes because you're so sweaty. (laughs) Well, and I did have a hot flash after my first in the hospital, I had one and I'm like, oh my God, if I have to do this through my 50s, I'm going to not be a happy camper because it well, was horrible. Pretty quick. Like I didn't have it for a long time, but it sure was interesting. So let's go back to when you started. How did you begin? It was right after MLK 2022. What did you do? You were all in with the science. You were excited. What did you do? I was the, I don't remember what you call it in your book, but I was the one that was like wading into the pool slowly. So I did the 17-7 for a week and ate my lunch with my colleagues. And then I had a planning period right after lunch. So the next week I waited to eat in my planning period and conveniently stopped eating in front of them. And nobody asked me anything about it. They just, whatever. And then... About halfway through the second week of doing 16-8, I was like, this isn't hurting me. I could go till after school. I could go till I get home at four o'clock. So 
within like two weeks, I was just like totally going into the 24 kind of mode. So I didn't do the apps. I didn't do any of that because I was all in this permissive nature mode. I'm like, I don't want to know how long I'm fasting. I want to know how long I can eat for. And I was um, willing to eat whatever. But the first three months, I remember a lot of times sitting down to dinner because we didn't really change our food habits much then. I'm sitting down to dinner. I'm going, there's no food in my food. I, I don't remember what 80s movie had that in there, but like, there's really not any food in this food. Like, it's not satisfying me. I need to eat this and I need to eat that. So we started putting it in to our dinners more. What was that dinner that you might have had that you were like suddenly realizing wasn't doing it? Yeah, it would have been what we would normally have eaten before fasting. So, you know, like a pork chop with the frozen broccoli and cheese kind of side and then maybe like some rice or something like that. It was really the vegetable portion that was getting me. It was like the, the meat was satisfying me. The starch was satisfying me. It was the vegetable portion. I'm like, I need more vegetables. And so we started putting more, more in and running joke now because our family, we, we meet weekly. We have two teenagers. So, well, almost a teenager and a teenager. And we meet weekly and plan out our meals. I do not cook. Yeah, I do not. You cook. don't cook. Mm-mm. Oh, I am not the cook. I'm the Who baker. Who does the cooking? My husband and my kids. So we meet weekly. The requirement is each kid has to cook with dad one meal a week, and then they have to cook a meal together. That is fantastic. And how old are they? To, uh, Sixteen and twelve. So two teenagers in a room that really don't like each other much. It sounds very <laughs> wonderful while they're cooking dinner. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's a little intervention of unless it's about making this meal, we're not going to say anything. <laughs> Just so they plan every y'all all plan together what's going to be on the menu and what you're going to need. You are getting them set up for really good life skills. Yeah, we wanted them to be able to cook meals. Like I know how to cook. I just don't like doing it. And see, my husband loves to do it, but he doesn't like going to get the groceries. So you have a great division of labor. See, we're the opposite. Chad loves to go get the stuff. I'm like, hey, we're out of parchment paper. So I don't, he doesn't write it down, but just parchment paper shows up. (laughs) So where we are at is a really rural part of New York as well. So we have access to food stands and things like that in during seasonal time. Like actually last month I bought a bunch of, I bought a half bushel of butternut squash and chopped it and peeled it and put it in freezer bags. And so now we have butternut squash ready to eat for meals, but it was way the heck less cheaper than trying to buy one butternut squash at a time to eat. We had butternut squash last night, butternut squash and a green chef meal. And it is no joke to peel that stuff. I thought I was going to cut my fingers off. (laughs) When I did the half bushel, I was getting some muscle on there. Yeah. <laughs> How do you peel it? I do the peeler until it... You use a peeler. See, last night, I, sometimes I use a peeler. Last night, I was like, I'm just going to use my paring knife. And that was a bad plan. <laughs> I literally was like, I'm going to cut my fingers off if I don't... <laughs> Too many curved surfaces. and. All right. So you just use a peeler. I got to remember that for next time. I've done it that way before. But anyway, I can't imagine doing a whole like half bushel. At a time. That and then like... Um, we have quite a Mennonite uh, population up here too, and Amish. So there's a um, Mennonite stores in our county. They sell like good homegrown vegetables, and they had huge heads of broad cauliflower for like six bucks a piece or something like that. Like you could buy three heads of cauliflower at the grocery store and get the size that I was buying. And so I put those into frozen, and and then we um, pay for a pig and things like that to get processed and things like that. We have been lucky enough for some of our food supply to get it pretty much from the farmer. That's really nice. It's really nice to be in an area where you can do that. I remember that growing up in the mountains of Virginia. I remember the season for, and you know, people that have never been that close to the farm, it's definitely alarming and it's different, but I remember being there for pig season. And then the the neighbors would, would share the parts and they would get together and celebrate it. And I go to the, bulk like it's not sam's club but it's some other kind of warehouse club and get a steak ribeye steak kind of thing and then my husband will cut it because he likes them thicker cut than what you can get in the grocery store but he'll also take the meat uh the fat off and he's into boiling that down and making tallow so we don't 
do butter much. We do tallow when we're like putting fat in to our meals and things like that. Butter. I bet that gives it a great flavor. It does. It does. And I, you know, ironically, I'm saying that with my super high cholesterol, but <laughs> again, your doctor said you could just eat carrots. It would still be high. So, <laughs> and that was the other piece to the journey was I went on this really long journey. Like this set me free to do all these other health journey things. So in the summer of 2022, I go to the cardiologist that both my parents went to, cause he's been really good at keeping them going. So I went to him. We had an extensive conversation. I had already discovered that I was stanton intolerant. I tried them in the tw- my 20s and they just drained me. So there was a new medication. It's a genetic therapy kind of medication. So it's an injectable I take every two weeks that actually gets my liver to do what it's not doing because that's the part about my the genetic condition I have. I did my research. I already had known about it, but I really did a deep dive after starting fasting and understand what's lacking. I lack some sort of protein that's supposed to help pull the cholesterol out of my blood and make my liver process it. So this injectable actually replaces that. It makes my liver do that. That is right there. That is like, you know, what functional medicine is all about, for example. You found the root cause. You know, the symptom of the deeper problem is that you had high cholesterol from the age of 12 or maybe even before that, but you found it at the age of 12. Oh, yeah. Born with it. Yeah, you were born with it. And the solution, statins didn't correct it for you. They made you feel awful. But instead, you're getting to the root of it and replacing that that protein that your body wasn't making, whatever it was. That's really, I think, the future is finding the root cause. For sure. And the fact that medicine has figured this out, like we can actually do this. This wasn't an option back in the 80s when I was first diagnosed. As a matter of fact, the only option, because the statins were brand new. And my dad, who is a PA, he was like, till there's like a good track record, no. And because my sister and I were so young, my parents are like, we're not making that decision for you. You need to be old enough to do your own research, to make your own decisions medically on what you're going to do. We're not, we're not going there. Yeah. So it was a great alternative and it brought my cholesterol down quite a bit. So yeah, like I listen to people in the past on your podcast talking about their cholesterol and I kind of giggle and I'm like, that's not really high. <laughs> like in the world where I live, I know high. <laughs> and actually I have quite a few family members, but I won't speak about them. But my mom's cholesterol was much, much higher than mine. My sister at age 10 was much, much higher than mine. Mine at age 12 was 225. That was the lowest I had ever had it from now officially taking my cholesterol measurements. So when I sat down in 2022 with the cardiologist, my cholesterol was 376. And that was the highest I've ever had it. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah. 
You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. So, yeah, I was very fasted. I was like, dude, Doc, I'm fasting. Like, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Ketosis is going a mile a minute. I'm guessing my cholesterol is going to be higher than it's supposed to be even because of that. And he, he was like, well, it doesn't really matter if you're fasted. We'll just take it. And it's already always high, so it can't be too much higher than your usual. It wasn't actually that much higher. It was probably 30 points higher than what I had before. But since taking that medication, I am now down to almost normal. I'm, at, I'm back to 230-ish kind of thing. And he tried a uh, second medication that's not a statin with me. It's called Zetia. And I did try it and literally like days of, of not having taken it because I, it took a couple of months to connect the dots, but I believe I was having some serious side effects. So I, I uh, messaged my cardiologist and I was like, I'm having these side effects and they're going to follow up with me, but I've taken myself off the medication for right now to find out if the side effects go away. That's the whole balancing act, right? You got to figure out, you know, you, you, Chad has a PhD in medicinal chemistry, so he understands drug design. And, you know, he always is, if I've prescribed something, it's been a long time since I've had a prescription, but he's always like, uh-uh, don't take that one. Call your doctor back. You need a different antibiotic. Like Cipro was one, for example. Like my doctor gave me Cipro for like an, I don't know, sinus infection, ear infection. And Chad's like, absolutely not. You're not taking that one. It causes, you know, this, this, and this can be the side effects. It gets something different. So I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, because that was a different class of medication that's not a statin. So if I can't take that, and we'll find out, then I'm just really on this biological. And that's okay, because that was the other piece to the journey. I, after 20 plus years of doctors constantly telling me, your cholesterol is so high, you need to take something, you need to take something. Before, just as the pandemic was starting, I finally said, Look, I'm 40-something years old. No one has ever said, go get a stress test. Go check these things. Make sure your heart health. So I'm like, I will take something, but you got to tell me my heart's actually doing something that warrants this. So they sent me to do an echo. And um, I, there's a special x-ray, calcium x-ray to check your vessels. And I had a score of zero, which means I have no calcifications in my or any buildup in around my heart. So I'm in this weird situation where my cardiac was showing no signs, but since my 20s, I've had all these other signs. And my our resolution's not that good, but on my eyes, I have little fat deposits right here. They're called xanthomas. I have a couple weird things on my knuckles. They look like they're extra bumps. These are related to having cholesterol. So my periphery blood vessels are showing we got a lot of cholesterol here, but my cardiac, we're not. So I am in the place where I'm not as concerned long-term, but I don't want, like my mom's life looked like she didn't have any cardiac issues either until she was injured. And when she got injured at work, that tipped off the cardiac issues. So in my world, I'm thinking I should just do as much as I can that if I have an event that causes this domino effect, I've it actually prevented it as best I could. And so that's where I'm sitting. So well, it feels good to know that you are doing everything that you can do and you're working with your doctor and they're working on the root cause and all these new treatment options. That's great. Yeah. And I did the research with that and felt like I was in a good place to understand what was going on. So yeah, and I went also with my health journey. You had Kelly Dean on, if anybody remembers Kelly Dean from way back, tummy team. And I sat there and I went, okay, it's time to figure that out. And so I went through her courses. I actually was on her podcast as well. I did her core core, connecting to your core. And then I did the pelvic floor one a couple months later. And I highly recommend that to any woman who's having issues. Okay, good to know. Issues with with pelvic floor strength in general? Pelvic floor issues, it was really great at rehabbing that. But the big one for me was the core. Like after two cesareans and all these other things, there is a connection to your, your center. And if you don't have that connection, it really affects a lot of things. And by doing that, it really helped 
uh, get through my grief for my mom. It helped get through. I had cesareans, but my first cesarean was an emergency one. So it helped me address all that residual issue I had with the emotions around that. Why couldn't I, you know, get my own child out of my body, that kind of thing. And now because of the wonderful knowledge from that course, I don't need to do sit-ups. I don't like my exercise routine for that part of my body. I do in my commute to work every morning. I do it going to work. I do it going back and I I dress my middle and I don't get on any floor and do curls. And I had a bad back event. So I, I threw out my back many years ago. I have not had to go to the chiropractor at all since I've done the rehab because I strengthened my core so my back doesn't go out as much. That's awesome. Yeah, staying strong, staying strong, maintaining that core strength, pelvic floor. That's why I jump on my rebounder. (laughs) (laughs) Long as I can jump on my rebounder with no oops moments, I know that my pelvic floor is strong. Those two things are connected. If you've got your core well taking care of your pelvic floor actually naturally strengthens as well. Well, That's good to know. Yeah. Now I'm also doing, I'm doing Tai Chi now, which I'm really enjoying. So let's talk about what your weight did. When you started in 2022, what was the weight loss journey like for you or what has it been like? Yeah. So I started, I used my Thanksgiving weight because that was the highest because I was avoiding the scale. So it could have been going up and down and whatever. So 230 is where I started, which is 104 and a half kilograms for any international listeners. And uh, being 5'7", so that's 170 centimeters. I, this past weekend, uh, got on the scale. I was 188, which is 85 kilograms. So what is that? 42 pounds, something like that in two years. And I'm really, I want to get down to about, my goal is between like 165 to 170, because that's where I sat in high school without any effort. And then I'm going to try to stay in that 160s range once I'm there. And I can see myself getting there. You know, this is the only time in my life I've ever actually seen myself getting there and staying there. And that was another big, huge victory is since I started doing this process. And I didn't have a lot of diet history, but the whole I you know, can only do it so long before you start cheating and cutting those corners and well, it's okay if I just do this or, and it has never crossed my mind, never crossed my mind to not do this because the way I look at it is I, I'm not, not doing it. Like <laughs> if I choose to start eating at two o'clock and I end when I end, I just start over the next day. If I choose to wait till six, then that's what I also have chosen to do. It's never in my mind that I'm going off the wagon or breaking the rules or, and I don't concern myself over what I'm eating in my window so much anymore. Cause I, I am that person <laughs> when we meal plan, my husband's like, what meat are we having? And I'm like, what vegetables are we having? Where's the vegetables? Cause I am a big time vegetable eater now. Like I even warm up a meal trying to find something. Cause I know if I don't put enough fruit or veg in it, I'm not going to be happy when I'm done eating. <laughs> you got to be satisfied. And I got to have something like beans or the fiber that just makes such a difference for me. And pre-fasting Brussels sprouts never crossed our threshold, but now they are a weekly staple in our house. Our kids love them. We love them. We roast them, put cheese on them. Yeah. All because you mentioned I had this hankering for a Brussels sprout. Something about the the Brussels sprouts seem to be the universal thing that we all just suddenly start liking. Now, if I could just start liking cauliflower. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we roast our cauliflower and put cheese on it too. It's really good. I might would like it like that. I just, I can't get over it. It's like a mental thing and it's white. It's so white. I don't like the way it looks. (laughs) I also cut up onions and a colorful pepper in it. Oh, okay. You know, my I remember my sister being at a salad bar. We were kids and she's like eating the raw cauliflower like crazy. And I'm like, uh-uh, that just didn't look right to me. I think it's something about the way it looks, but I, I love the way you're making it work with that. I would probably like it with cheese and onion and all that too. Because I did go to my cardiologist, he did a C-reactive protein, which any of you are in the heart world, that's an inflammation marker. And when I went the first time, which was six months into fasting, I had an 11.3, which normal, high, the high end of normal is supposed to be three. So 
So I was at 11.3. And that was six months into fasting. So when I went back this past summer, I was at a 4.3. See, that's the kind of data that, you know, you could be like, well, you know, I'm not at my goal. I'm losing really slow. Fasting doesn't work. And But part in my new book, 28 Day Fast Start Day by Day, I encourage people towards the end of the fast start to figure out what they mean by is it working? You know, is intermittent fasting working? And if the only thing you're, if your only thing you're looking for is how fast will I lose the weight, it might not quote work the way you want it to. But for your inflammation markers to go down from 11.3 to four, would you say that fasting is working? Well, and I was also the person that recommended that inflammation spectrum book in your episode 10 of your other podcast. And when I did that test, and remembered what it was like before fasting and then 10 months in, I was inflamed in six out of the six body systems that up for the testing. And then when I did it based on the 10 months in, I was inflamed in only two. That's amazing. And inflammation is affects us so negatively and anything we could do to bring down our inflammation. And that is something that fasting does beautifully. Fasting and the vegetables you're craving, all of that. <laughs> exactly. And pre- fasting because I had to get blood work done on the regular between thyroid and cholesterol. Uh, Pre-fasting for several years before I was running between an 89 and a 115 for fasting glucose. And now I consistently run in the 45 to 60 range. It's way lower. And, you know, all our smart devices and everything, the health app through Apple I looked in my data and pre-fasting, my resting, caloric, daily, whatever was about 1,400 calories. Now it's over 2,000. It's some, between 1,700 and 2,000, depending on the day. So I know my metabolism, that to me sounds like metabolism is going up. Yeah, that is what it sounds like. I don't know how they measure that. I'm like, how do they I have that? no idea. But again, because I'm not a locomotive, so I don't know what the calories are all about. But, you know. That's amazing. Well, we are almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting or what do you wish you knew when you first started? Well, I have a couple real quick. I um, summarized after reading Cleanish that your body is doing something. I realized that my body was doing more resting and healing when fasted and it's busy processing and detoxifying and putting right trillions of cells with more than 40 years of chemical garbage and buildup. <laughs> and that the day, my daily adding of stress or whatever is going on, plus the menopause issue, fasting is doing a lot. So go me. It really is powerful to think about what's happening behind the scenes. And when we realize that period of digestive rest and all that our bodies can do to clean up the mess. And then I also operate from a place of deep gratitude for my body. I operate from, from a place of great deep gratitude for people who kept my mom alive for longer than expected. So be thankful for how far your body carried you before fasting, but even be more grateful for what you're noticing when you are fasting and how much it's changing. Cause that is powerful. It's definitely powerful. And I embrace my ketosis. When I notice that I'm getting a little colder in the afternoon or like my Mouth is cottony because I don't get the metallic taste. I sit there and I smile to myself and say, I am working on something that needs to be fixed and it's wonderful. Yeah. So between that and the process that I know that triggers, because that's one of the biggest pieces for me is the cardiac issues because both my parents have cardiac issues. My dad's has nothing to do with cholesterol, but just knowing how much I'm reducing those problems because another great book I read, The Great Cholesterol Myth, um, helped me understand oxidative stress, which fasting addresses in spades. It just feels good to know we're doing what we can to help us live the best life we can as we age because that's what we all want. Well, Heather, thank you so much for sharing your story today. You're welcome. And thank you so much for sharing yours, Jen. <laughs> Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G-I-N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. 
So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast. Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.